Good morning, Christchurch, <laughs> and happy Thanksgiving to you. It's great to have you in worship with us, and uh, I'll also have uh, someone I'd like for you to meet, a brand new couple just married on uh, Friday night. I had the privilege of doing that to our church members, and they are Zach and Brittany Underhill, used to be Brittany Blanchard, Barb and Greg Blanchard's daughter. Why don't you two stand right there just so we can welcome you as husband and wife. Well, you know, today uh, I'm continuing in this series uh, called Defeating the Enemy. Defeating the Enemy. I'm going to encourage you now and invite you to pull out your Christchurch notes. They're there in your worship program. You'll also want to find a pen or a pencil on the seat back in front of you. You know, this, uh, this enemy that I'm referring to is, is not a flesh and blood enemy. Uh, no, it's, it's more than that. Uh, in fact, it, this enemy is more powerful and more cunning than any enemy made of flesh and blood. It's a, listen to this, it's an enemy that lurks in the shadows and an enemy that invades the mind. That's what we're talking about today lurks in the shadows and invades the mind. It's an enemy that can't be fought with standard weaponry, standard warfare, military tactics. Can't happen that way. We have to protect ourselves with a completely different set of armor, according to God's word. And make no mistake about it, folks, uh, the enemy that I'm referring to is just downright evil. It's evil. In fact, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray the prayer we know today as the Lord's Prayer, he included a line right out of Matthew chapter 6, verse 13 that says this, and lead us not into temptation, now let's read this, but deliver us from the, yeah, deliver us from the evil one. Yeah, and, and Paul, when he was talking to some new Christians out in the church of Ephesus uh, in the present-day country of Turkey, he told the new Christians there, he said, you know, don't be fooled. There is a spiritual battle that's going on all around us, and that battle is serious. And, in fact, it's for your allegiance, he says. And he writes these words. It's our theme scripture throughout this series. Out of uh, Ephesians chapter 6. Check it out. It says this. Paul's writing. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is God's Word for us, the theme verse that we are using today as we continue to figure out how it is that we can battle the enemy, how we can defeat the enemy. Now, two weeks ago, we defined who this enemy was and called this enemy out by name. That enemy, Satan. And what we know about him, we know that he's crafty. 
We know that he's powerful, but not all powerful. We know that he doesn't work alone. But there's one thing that we know beyond any shadow of a doubt, and that is this, that on the cross, uh, Satan received a death blow from Jesus on the cross. And just like any serpent or any snake that's had its head cut off and the rest of the body is wiggling around, that's exactly what's taken place with Satan. When the cross happened, it was, uh, the death blow happened on Satan, but yet the, the rest of him, the, 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 the body is just wiggling around, wreaking havoc, causing havoc all over the world. That's just the way that it works. Now, last weekend, Colonel James Lewis did an outstanding job helping us to understand the, the traps the schemes that Satan uses to entrap us. And what we learned is this, that the primary weapon that Satan uses against us is the lie. I want you to write that in. It's the lie. The primary weapon that Satan uses to defeat us is the lie, whispering his evil dreck in our ears. Here's the second. But our primary weapon against him, our primary defense against the lies of Satan is the truth. It's the truth. And you and I all know, we all know this, that when you know the truth, the truth will what? Set you free. That's exactly right. When you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Now, I think that's why the Apostle Paul uh, was telling those new Christians over in Ephesus that if we're going to stand up against the evil schemes of the power of this dark world, the spiritual forces of evil, the first thing they needed to do was to put on the belt of what? The belt of truth. That's what we learned last week. It's the belt of truth. It's in their scripture that I read today. The belt of truth. That was the first part of the armor. Now, what we know about this is that the belt was absolutely critical. Critical imagery for, for uh, Paul. In fact, Paul uh, used this imagery that uh, he knew the folks in Ephesus, they knew well. Paul knew this well. And it was the imagery of the armor, the full armor of the most powerful army in the entire world up to that point. And that was the Roman soldier, the army of the Roman soldier, the armor of the Roman soldier. And you can see here the belt of truth that, that uh, or the, the belt the Roman soldier was wearing and the belt of truth, the spiritual belt of truth that Paul was talking about. And it's absolutely true, you learned last week, that one of the first things that the belt does is to protect the loins of the soldier, but it also holds the breastplate in place. This breastplate that protects the chest here. And it also does one other thing. It keeps the soldier's sword here at the ready. It was right there on his waist, right there at the right height where he could pull the sword out and uh, defend as he needed to defend with the sword. And so using the same imagery, Paul is saying, look, that if you want to take your stand against the evil one in this world, what you need to do first is put on that belt of truth to protect yourself against Satan's uh, laws because this primary, his primary way that Satan gets to us is the lie. Now, he tells us now, after he says take up the belt of truth, he tells us to put on 
the helmet of salvation. Check that out. It says, take the helmet of salvation. He's talking about putting that helmet on. Now, one of the no- most notable uh, pieces of a soldier's arm, uh, armor was the helmet. Go ahead and put that up. Here it is. You see the soldiers lined up there with the uh, Roman helmet. Now, this was an incredible piece of of, uh, of armor. And I've got to say, before I even go for any further, you know that every single piece, every piece, every piece, one more time, every piece of the armor that the soldier wore was designed to protect the vulnerable areas of a soldier's body. The helmet no different. In fact, the helmet was made out of metal. You can see that there is a band right here. You can see, maybe you can see that band. You can see it on this one and this one and this one. And that band was there to protect the forehead of the soldier. It was there was a piece of this helmet that extended down to cover the cheeks on both sides, cover the cheeks and the chin. Then there was a piece of the helmet that extended down the back of the neck to protect the back of the neck. Now, it is true that much of the, much of the uh, armor that the soldiers wore was specifically designed to protect against the arrows of an enemy, but not so for the helmet. It wasn't to protect against an enemy's arrows. It was to protect against an enemy's... Anybody know? sword. That's exactly right. To protect them against the sword. And what Paul knew, as well as those who, who made up the, the, uh, or designed the armor, the Roman soldier's armor, they knew this, that if an enemy could penetrate any piece of that armor, they knew it would bring sure and certain death to the soldier. And that's why, as Paul was saying, look, you and I, we're fighting an enemy, and it's nothing to play with. We're fighting an enemy that wants to defeat you. We're fighting an enemy that desires that you be brought down. And you need to suit up in this full armor of God and protect yourself. And you know why? Listen to this. You, know, you think about this. Why did Paul feel that the helmet was so critical for us to protect ourselves in this spiritual battle? Let me tell you. Because Satan's attacks come primarily against our minds. Remember? His biggest piece is his lie. He lies to us. He tries to convince us that what, that what he's whispering in our ear, what we're hearing, what we're experiencing, are our own thoughts and not his. Because he knows that if he can convince you and me that what we are thinking or feeling or experiencing or hearing in our head is our own thoughts, we are far more apt to believe them. We're far more apt to believe them if, than if we know. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't like knock in and say, oh, by the way, this is Satan speaking, and this is what I want you to do. Because what would we do? We'd say, uh-uh, you know, you know get away. Uh, I'm not going to be listening to you. But if he convinces you that what, he, what you're thinking are your own thoughts, then, then he's got you. He's got you. In fact, 
Uh, wise old King Solomon, right out, of the, right out of the Proverbs, knew exactly that that statement was true. Matter of fact, this is what he said in Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7. Check it out. It says, for as a person thinks in his heart, so what? Is he? So is he? In other words, what you think is what you become right? What you think in your heart is what it is that you become. In other words, you know, we, we, what we think determines our actions, and our actions are a direct result of our thoughts, and the more we listen to the lies of Satan, the more that we believe them, and the more that we believe them, the further we sink into his traps, and the further we sink, then the deeper we go and the more shame and the more blame and the more pain begins to control our mind. So folks, get this. This helmet of salvation is all about protecting your mind from the lies and the dreck of the enemy. That's what this is all about. Matter of fact, I was thinking about this this week. Did you know that your mind in science shows this is true, that your mind is like a digital recorder. Your brain is kind of like a digital recorder. Everything that you have, everything that your five senses have experienced has been recorded in your mind. Everything that you've uh, smelled or everything that you've tasted, everything that you've touched, uh, everything that uh, you've heard, everything that you've seen, all is recorded into your mind. It's all there somewhere. Everything that, everything that is all of the good stuff and the bad stuff, the, the right stuff and the wrong stuff, the true stuff and the false stuff, it's all there. The problem is that our minds don't have the capacity or the ability to distinguish between what's true and what's false. And especially, especially when we're kids. And you know, I know that there are those of you who are out there who've had authority figures in your life who have said things to you and that you believed them, but those things that they've said to you are just flat out lies. What am I talking about? You've probably had authority figures in your life saying something like, you know, you are so stupid. Or, you're ugly. Or, you know, I'm embarrassed to call you my child. You're worthless. You're dumb. Why can't you be smart like your brother or your sister? And all that stuff has been recorded in your mind years ago, and even now that you're an adult, some 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years later, you're still playing those old faulty tapes over and over and over again in your mind. And what I want you to know folks, is those lies are what's being exploited by Satan. He exploits those old faulty tapes that you continue to play over and over in your mind because he knows your insecurities. He knows where you're insecure. He knows where you're weak. He knows where you're fearful. And he takes all of that and he's going to exploit all of that until he's able to defeat you. And so here's the deal, folks. You've got to replace those old faulty tapes that you've been playing over and over and over and over and over again in your mind. And you need to put on the helmet of salvation and you replace it with the truth of God's word. You've got to change the way you think. 
Matter of fact, check this out. Paul said it, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He says this, let God transform you into a new person by doing what? By changing the way you think. That's it. How are you transformed into a new person? By the way that you think. You got to let God get a hold of that to, to replay those tapes, to erase all of that bad garbage that you keep playing over and over and again in your mind. And how does he do it? Well, here's the first thing. If you want to God to be able to change the way you think so you can get rid of that faulty data, first thing you need to do is you need to pray and say something like this, God, please heal my memories. Because sometimes it's those bad memories that gets played over and over and over again. That stuff that you believed about you. Those flat out lies that there's some authority figure in your life has been drilling into you. And you have bought it hook, line, and sinker. And that's exactly what Satan is trying to exploit in you. To try to keep you down. To try to defeat you. Here's the second thing we've got to do. You've got to believe the truth about you. The truth about you. You say, well, pastor, I thought all that mess was the truth. Well, that's, those are lies, folks. Here's the truth. You got to know what the truth is. Check this out. Paul was writing it again to the church in uh, Ephesus, to those new Christians there. And he said something like this. He said, through what Christ would do for us, he's decided then to make us holy in his eyes. Without a single fault, we who stand before him covered in his love. What's that mean? I want you to first circle without a single fault. Circle that phrase without a single fault. God has made us holy without a single fault. That is, God has taken everything that you've done wrong, all of your guilt, regrets, and shame and hurt, and God wipes it away and says, hey, what do you say if we start over? Let's start this relationship all over again. And wipes that stuff away so that when God looks at you, he looks at you as one who is holy without a single fault. Now, I don't want to burst your bubble in, uh, in case you think that you really are without a single fault. Because I know most of you, and you ain't. All right? And you can go say it right back to me. You know, we're, we're very human here. We, you know, we love Jesus, but we're human. And uh, we do have faults and failures and sin in our lives. But here's the deal. You and I, we know that we're not without a single fault. But the cool thing is, the cool thing is, the really cool thing is, that when God looks at us, he looks at you and looks at me and sees no fault. Why? Because we are, what's those last few words? Covered? Covered with his love. Yeah. He sees us through his love. And so when he looks at John, he doesn't see how I really am. You know, he doesn't see me with all my faults and sins and failures and all this mess. But what he sees, he sees me covered in his love without a single fault. I'm telling you, you know, somebody who loves you like that, <laughs> it's worth getting to know. Because I promise you that there are probably not a whole lot of people in your life who love you like that. Who whenever they look at you, 
They don't see your mess. They don't see your garbage. They don't see all the junk you've got in your life. They see you. They see you how you really are. But it's God who sees us covered in his love. And you know, and that's why I got to go back to the fact that you got to believe the truth about yourself. The truth about yourself is that God sees you without a single fault. And if you can get a hold of that, if you can digest that, I tell you what, it'll change your life, people. Because it changes the way you think. Changes the way you think. So how do you put on that helmet of salvation and get protected? Here it is. Check this out. 1 Corinthians 15, 2 says this. By this gospel, you're saved. By this gospel, you're saved. Now, what in the world does gospel mean? Gospel is an old English word that means good news. So he's saying, hey, it's by this good news that you have this relationship with Jesus Christ, that you, have, that you are forgiven, that you are, that you are saved. And so where do we find out what this good news is? Well, I suggest that you start with the, what I think. Here, I would just what John thinks. John says that the most famous uh, verse in the entire New Testament is out of the Gospel of John, chapter 3. Anybody want to guess what verse yeah, there you go, verse 16. Yeah, I often call that the football verse. Yeah, you know, because if you watch any NFL, you know, you're liable to see almost every time somebody in like purple hair, you know, hanging a banner over the side of the end zone, and all it says is John 3, 16. Right there, the football verse. It's the gospel in a nutshell. Look what it says right here. It says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. That's it. As a matter of fact, if you really start looking in there, you will find the gospel, even the word gospel in there. Check it out. Put it up on the screen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and what? Only son, right? That whoever believes in him will not perish, but have Eternal life. G-O-S-P-E-L. Gospel. Right there in that word. The good news. The good news. That God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The gospel right there in a nutshell. You can protect your mind with that verse right there. So what we're going to do in the next couple of minutes, we're going to do pretty quickly, and that is this. I'm going to tear this verse apart because I want us to look at each section because in that we find why God created you, why you're on this earth, why Jesus died for you, and how you can have a ticket to heaven. Hey, not bad, huh? Right there in one verse, you ought to pay attention to that, right? Check it out. Here it goes. By the way, this is Christianity 101. Yes, what you're getting today. Christianity 101. Glad you're here. And here we go. Going to protect your mind with the helmet of what? Salvation. Here it is. Number one. Put it up. You got to acknowledge God's passion. Same thing. Somebody said love, but that's close. Passion for you. Acknowledge God's 
passion for you. Let's say it together. Acknowledge God's passion for you. What am I talking about here? What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is God loves you more than you could ever begin to think or imagine. His love for you is an amazingly extravagant kind of love. God has a passion for you. And you know, there are so many people that I'm run into who think that somehow God is mad at them. That God is mad at them. And the reality is God's not mad at you. God's, God's mad about you. You know, there's a big difference in that, isn't it? To be mad at you and mad about you. God is mad about you. And the issue of the cross explains that. In fact, the Bible says right here in the very first line of that verse, our most famous verse, God so loved the world. He said, so loved, circle so loved right there. God so loved the world. What's that mean? Well, think about this way. You know, the scripture teaches us uh, in one very short verse that says, God is what? Love. God is love. Now, notice it didn't say God has love, right? It says God is love. In other words, it's God's nature. It's the essence of who God is, this love that he has for us. In fact, the scripture tells us that everything God made, he made as an object of his love. That includes you and includes me. Pretty good, huh? Includes us. You and me, that we're objects of his love. And that's the whole reason that God uh, has you here on the earth is in order to love you. If you're alive today, you're here because God loves you. Now, when God brought you into being and created you, of course, he used the DNA of your parents. Nobody can deny that. But the reality is, once he made you with the DNA of your parents, he made you to love you. And that love is beyond your comprehension. It's almost, it's almost like a dog trying to understand the internet. You know, when you try to understand God's love, it's like a dog trying to understand the internet. It is so deep that you just can't get it all. It is that extravagant. It is that incredible. It is that amazing. Matter of fact, check this verse out right here. First uh, uh, John, letter of 1 John chapter 4 says this. God showed us how much he loved us. How? By sending his son into the world. For what reason? So that we might have eternal life through him. Now look at that. This is what? Real love. He sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sin. In other words, God didn't just say he loved you. He showed he loved you. And then he proved to you that he loved you in the most expensive way by sending his son and our savior Jesus on the cross. You see, when Jesus went to the cross and, and uh, he was nailed up there with his outstretched arms like this, God was, uh, it was as if he was saying, I love you this much. I love you this much. I love you so much it hurts. That's how much God loves you. Even with his outstretched arms right there. And some of you might be saying, well, you know what? I, I've blown it. I've, I've done so much, uh, sinned so much uh, that God couldn't possibly love me. Made too many mistakes for uh, God to love me. No, that's not true. In fact, if you'd been the only person, only person if you'd been the only person on earth who had sinned and screwed up, God still would have sent Jesus to die for you. You. And only you. I mean, that's, 
That's unbelievable. How much God's love for you really is. So, he's got an incredible passion for you, and you've got to acknowledge that. So that's how you start to put on the helmet of salvation. If you're going to protect your mind against the evil schemes of Satan, you've got to acknowledge God's passion for you. That's the beginning of putting on the helmet of salvation. Go ahead, next one. Here's the next thing you've got to do. It's got to appreciate God's gift. Appreciate the gift of God. Appreciate God's gift for you. He's got a gift that's present, and that's his son. Matter of fact, the second part of our most famous football verse is, God so loved the world, that's his passion. Then it says that he gave his one and only son. There's your, there's your gift. Now, I want you to notice something. God didn't say here that he sent an angel. Did it say sent an angel? No. doesn't say he sent an angel. doesn't say he sent a, a prophet. Doesn't say he sent a moral or ethical leader. Doesn't say he sent a good teacher. No, doesn't say any of that. But it says that he sent or he gave his one and only son. You see, Jesus never even claimed to be a good teacher. He never claimed to be a prophet. He never claimed to be a moral leader. He never claimed to be any of that. All he claimed was that he was the son of God. Now, you know... C.S. Lewis said it so well. He said, you know, if you, this is John's version of C.S. Lewis, but he said this. He said, you know, if you run into somebody on the street who claims to be God, you've really got three options to deal with that statement, right? Three options. Number one, the guy's a lunatic. All right, that's the first option. You know, if you run into somebody down at the Giant today doing some grocery shopping and they claim to be God, I imagine you might think, that guy is a lunatic, you know? I mean, there's your first option. Second option is that he's a liar, that he's a con man, that he's a cheat, cheat, that he's a crook. That's your second option. Or the third option, if he's, you know, if he's not a lunatic and he's not a liar, well, maybe he's God. Well... You know, and if he is, I mean, that changes everything, right? Changes your understanding of who he is. It changes your worship, everything, if the guy is God. And that's who Jesus claimed to be. He claimed to be God. We got to do something with that. He's either a lunatic, he's a liar, or, well, he's got to be Lord then, if he's not either one of those. So to put on that helmet of salvation, you've got to acknowledge God's incredible love for you, his passion. Then you've got to accept his, uh, appreciate God's gift. And then the last thing is that you need to accept his offer. Accept the offer. Accept God's offer for you. As I said, God's got an incredible gift for you. Uh, one that you've never received anywhere else, I promise you. And it's this. First part of the verse, God so loved the world, there's his passion that he gave his one and only son, there's his gift to you, now the offer is here, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God says, if you believe that I did this for you, then you've got eternal life. Matter of fact, he says it this way, notice the proposal, this offer, who it's for. Titus 2.11, check it out, it says, the free gift of eternal salvation, notice by the way it's a free gift, is now being offered to who? Everyone. Circle that word, please. Circle the word everyone. It's offered to everyone. You know, Jesus is an equal opportunity savior. That's good news. 
Equal opportunity Savior. He wants to have a relationship with you. And how do you accept it? Right here, Romans 3.22 says this. God says, he will accept us and acquit us. In other words, he will declare us not guilty if we trust Jesus to take away our sins. And all, excuse me, and we all can be saved in the same way. Love this. I love this next verse. By coming to Christ, here, listen, no matter who we are, or what we've been like. Isn't that good? You need to underline that, I think. No matter who you are or what you've been like. I am grateful for the last part of that verse. No matter who you are or what you've been like. You know, it says that, you know, if you just trust Jesus, you may be thinking, you know, uh, I've, I've, I've screwed up my life too much. Well, no, you haven't. It may be screwed up, but it, it's not too late. You know, you might be thinking, you know, I've gone so long without any kind of relationship with God. God's not going to want me. No, that's not true either. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter where you've been. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't even matter who you did it with. God's love for you is just that strong. And there's only one condition to receiving it. You know what it is? It's trust. It's all about trust. It's, it's, about, it's not just about knowing Jesus. I mean, it's not about the head knowledge. It's all about the heart knowledge. You know, if I could, if I could give you a, you know, a scientific, mathematical formula about all this works, even if I could do that, and I can't, but even if I could, and you say, yeah, that makes sense. I think I'll believe that. You know, the Scripture tells us that that wouldn't be enough because it's not simply a matter about believing. Because believing is all about this. It's all about the head. But what Jesus is asking for each, from each of us is this, is that it's got to be more than this. It can start here, but it's got to be more than that. It's got to be trust. It's got to be a relationship. You see, because mathematical principles don't work on relationships. Relationships are more than math. Relationships are more than science. Relationships have to do with trust. And that's exactly what God says about our relationship with Him. You know, if you're going to try to figure it out by mathematical works, even then it's not going to be enough. I've said many times that there are those who may miss heaven by 14 inches. Because it never moved from here to here. See, what he wants is that relationship with you. It's all about that love. It's all about that trust. It's about that faith. And if you want that today, you can have it today. You can start right now and have it today. All we've got to do is offer ourselves in relationship to Jesus. So why don't we do that? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, you know, I don't understand it all. I really don't. But I want to thank you for loving me. I want to thank you for coming to earth for me. And for giving me a life so that I could go to heaven. I I accept your free gift of forgiveness and salvation. Lord, I I want to put on that, that helmet of salvation. I want you to be the Savior of my life and the Lord and manager of my life I want to trust you 
and I want to fulfill your purpose for me. I say to you today, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. This is the prayer I pray in your name. Amen. Amen.